Uh, we've been going through the uh, letter to the Ephesians. It's written by a man named Paul, who uh, he was at one point persecuting the church, uh, came to faith through quite miraculous means, and became just one of the most powerful missionaries in the early church. Uh, many of the letters that you read in the New Testament were written by this man, Paul, to different churches, and he writes this letter to uh, a city called Ephesus. And it was a letter that was intended to be circulated among the churches, and so we've been going through this, this letter together. And I, I mentioned last week, and I taught on the letter to the Philippians last year, and that is my favorite book, but Ephesians, man, it's, it's catching up real fast. Uh, I, I, I oftentimes spend time with my, my kids talking about uh, this, uh, this book as I'm going through it. You know, my son lives in Tennessee, my girls live in Atlanta, and so it's over the phone, you know, and, and I was talking with Jasmine about this just, just the other day and saying, this is re it's really shaking me up. This letter is transforming the way I think about how I live my life before the Lord. And I've been walking with the Lord for over three decades right now. And I'm telling you, this book is, it is a marvelous letter. If you've missed any of the previous messages, I'd encourage you to go to our YouTube page and uh, you can watch all of those past messages or go to our, our, uh, our main website. We've got that on audio as well. Uh, I'd encourage you to, to get caught up. I've been asking those of you who have been coming uh, each week just to listen to or read through the entire letter in a single setting once a week for this Lenten season. If you've been doing that, I, I know it's been changing you, even as it's been changing me. I, I'll do something. I'll just go downstairs to my little home gym, and I'll just put it on, and it's just kind of like, oh, I just, God, you have so much for us. Uh, just in terms of just uh, getting us caught up real quickly, the first three chapters of this, of this book. Now, now, if you're not aware of this, chapters and verses were added after the original letters were written. These were, these were just written as letters. But the chapters and verses were added for reference so we can find it. So I can tell you today that I'm going to be speaking from Ephesians chapter 5, verses 21 through 33. We're going to be talking about love and marriage. So that's for reference. But these were just letters that were written. But the first half of this book is all about this great gospel that we have received, this good news that we've received, and everything that we have in this. And he focuses much on our identity, who we are in Christ. When we receive Jesus, these are all the benefits that have come to us. The first several verses of chapter 1, 3 through 14, one long sentence talks about all that we have in him, in Christ, that we have been received every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That we have redemption, that he has bought us back, that he's forgiven us, that he's adopted us into his family, that he has lavished us with his love, that he has deposited God the Holy Spirit who lives in us. He goes on to talk about in chapter 2 the grace that we've received. We've received grace and that, that everything that we have comes not because we have earned or worked for anything, but just because God is God and he has lavished us with grace, amazing grace. And yet that amazing grace is such that we respond to it understanding you are a masterpiece. God created you to be a masterpiece 
in Christ Jesus. And he created you, though you're not saved by works, he created you for good works that you are called to walk in. He reminds these, uh, his listeners who are, uh, these Ephesians are Gentiles, that they have now been brought into the family of believers, that in Christ there's no distinction. It doesn't matter who you are, whether Jew or Gentile. In the, in the, in the, the mindset of the Jews, uh, there are just two types of people, Jews or Gentiles. And so what that says to us today, if these people who are so separated can come together, in Christ, we have that ability also. Uh, and so in Christ, there is no distinction. There are those from every tribe and language and people and nation. And God welcomes anyone who will come. And this is just foundation. He's setting us up to say, now there is a love that God has lavished you, you with. And he wants you to know his love. If you're here today and maybe you're exploring, trying to understand what is this Christianity thing all about. If you gain only one thing today, know that you are loved by God. You are loved just where you are. It doesn't matter what you've done, where you've been, where you're coming from. God loves you with an everlasting love. If you ever doubt that, you look to the cross and know that God became flesh. And he came not just to show us what Good living, right living looks like. Many people think of Jesus as a good teacher. Yes, he was that, but so much more. He came to die for sins. He took your place. God's perfection, justice demands that sin is punished, but his love for you says, I'm taking that punishment myself. God became flesh. Jesus went to a cross because he loves you. And if you ever doubt that, he wants you to know. Paul describes it this way in Ephesians. He says, I want you to know just how high and wide and deep and the breadth of this love that, he says, this love that surpasses knowledge, he wants you to know it. That you might be full to the fullness of all the measure, the fullness of Christ. And that's all just the beginning. And that's in light of this, who you are, your identity that he moves in the second half of the book to ethical living. This is how we are called to live now. We, 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 we turn away from darkness, we turn to light. And here we are now in chapter 5, and he, he, we're continuing on these ethical teachings, and he has a section now where he's talking about love and marriage. How do we do this marriage thing? Now, uh, I know many of us here are single. Um, uh, don't tune out. Because who knows, one day you might be married. And not only so, even if you're, you never get married, it's important to understand what God's perspective on marriage is. So we're going to be talking about that today. Uh, if you're able, would you stand for the reading of God's Word? I'm going to be reading from Ephesians chapter 5, beginning at verse 21. Verse 21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself 
as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church, for we are one members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Lord, for your word. I pray today that this word would speak life to each one of us. I pray it would encourage us. I pray, God, it would instruct us. I pray, God, that we would take these words and apply them. I pray that we would leave today encouraged and built up. Lord, speak through your servant. Uh, give us all ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to his church. Uh, Lord, if there's anything foolish I say, I pray that it would go in one ear, out the other. But Lord, what is from you, may we take and apply. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Now, uh, uh, my wife and I do quite a bit of marriage counseling over the years. Whenever uh, somebody asks me to perform a wedding ceremony, um, my requirement is always that we take time to, over several weeks, to, to do some premarital counseling. I believe that marriage is a, a wonderful gift from God uh, and that it was intended to be so, as such. I know at the same time, you know, many of us have gone through the pain of divorce. Many of us are, are maybe in, in marriages that, that are, are in turmoil. Uh, I, I do believe, nonetheless, that God's intention for marriage is blessing. He's intended to bless us. And I, I pray today that the word spoken would be an encouragement to you. Uh, when I spend time with young couples uh, who are going through this process, um, we always start with this passage. Now, as you heard the word spoken, you know, there may be uh, things that were just triggered for you as you heard this. And so I'm going to take a little bit of time to give a little bit of, of preamble to sort of set the stage for what we're going to be talking about, okay? Because it starts with this, uh, the S word, submit. And uh, for many of us, we hear that word and it doesn't come out quite right, uh, so I, I want to speak from a biblical perspective what, what that means. Uh, and, and so when we think of that word submission, it, it really comes out of the context, really the word is found in the military con context where an, an enlisted uh, person would, would be submitting to their general or commanding officer as the case may be. Uh, so, so let me start by saying it has nothing to do with value or worth as if one person exceeds another. Uh, elsewhere in the scriptures, we are told to submit to the governing authorities. And so for all of us, there's a context in which we are called to submit. Uh, if, uh, we're going to talk about this next week. Uh, the, in, in the household, kids are called to submit to their parents. Uh, he, he speaks of slaves and masters, and we'll explain that a little bit because sometimes we hear slaves and masters and we think of American slavery. It's a, quite a different context. First of all, today as we're going to talk about the context of uh, wives and husbands. 
And then next week we'll see children and parents, and then we'll see, as I mentioned, slaves and, and masters. He says, so wives, submit to yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. Now, I want to put it to you that this S word that many of us sort of step back to, that may sound to you antiquated, from a biblical perspective, it's not a bad thing. Submission always has to do with authority and coming under authority. And the idea of authority, biblically speaking, is not even as we sometimes hear it, authoritarian. In other words, you do what I tell you to do or else. That's not the idea found in Scripture at all. The idea of authority is always protection and covering. And all of us have, we can think of abuses of that in, in, in any context, whether it's in, in, in the government, whether it's in marriage, whether it's in the workplace, we see abuse. And so w there's a tendency for us to say, well, I don't want to have anything to do with that. But understood biblically, the idea is covering and protection. Did you know that if you are a part of this church, the scriptures tell you to submit to my spiritual authority? I, I am the pastor of the church. It says, submit to your leaders. Now, that to me, you know, if, if I misunderstand that, and we've seen abuse in the church in that, where it's the authoritarian leader, that's not what biblical authority is about. It's covering, it's protection. Now, we're going to talk about that some more in just a second as we talk about husbands. It says, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he's the Savior. Now, now no, notice this again in verse 22. It doesn't say women submit to men. It doesn't say that. It says, wives, submit to your own husbands. So, wives, you're not called to submit to any other, any other husband but your own. For the husband is head of the wife, as Christ is head of church, his body, which is his Savior. So the idea of headship, again, is covering and protection. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Now, now wives, how, how do you do this, especially when you've seen such abuse, maybe even in your own home? Well, we've got to back up a little bit. We're going to go back to some of what we, we taught on last week. Let's go back to, to verse 18. Be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus. Now, now remember, that there is continuity in this letter. This is a flow. Now, for, for time's sake, we've had to break up this letter into several parts. You know, we've been doing uh, two weeks for each chapter so far. So this is uh, lesson number 10 in this. But it's one flow, which is why I've asked you to read through or listen to the, past, to, to the book in single uh, settings. So, so what we see here today, where he says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, that's just another way of which he's describing being filled with the Spirit. Did you know that? This is part, it's, it, it, for, for, the, for those of you who enjoy Greek grammar, <laughs> this is a part of something. He, he, he's describing in submission one of the ways which this leading verb, being filled with the Spirit, takes place by submitting to one another to reverence for Christ. So uh, I'll say to wives, submission requires being filled with the Spirit. And, and we talked a little bit about that last week. Being filled with the Spirit means I day by day empty myself of self. 
In the previous chapter, the, 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 the analogy he used was darkness and light, that, that I, I dispel the darkness with light. I, I, I'm filled with the Spirit by saying I'm dying to self. I'm putting aside self. I empty myself of self. That's Christian living. This is one of the reasons many people never come to know Jesus because pride, selfishness, fills all of us. It's the root of all sin. It's pride. It's me. It's me saying, I'm going to do what I do. God, I'm not going to do what you tell me to do. It takes humility to go to the place where I'm saying, I'm going to do what you say to do, God. And that then in turn fills us with the Spirit. Now, now, any of us who have tasted and seen, we know that this is good. We taste and see, this is the only way it's really worth living, being filled with the Spirit. I don't like my flesh. I don't. And whenever my flesh starts to come out, it just feels nasty. And I have to repent and say, God, put aside my flesh. I need your Spirit. I need to be filled with you. I don't like myself. Now, I'm not saying, uh, we'll say some more about that uh, as we talk about husband. We're supposed to love ourselves, but love ourselves the way that God loves us. But when I say I don't like my, I don't like my self, I don't like my selfish self, I don't, like, I don't like my flesh. But I love being filled with God's Spirit. And submission requires that. In any sphere, any context that we are in, it requires I'm submitting to you, Lord God. Now, I'm going to move on to husbands here. I'm going to come back to this briefly in a, in a little bit. And, 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 and again, you know, uh, at this point, if you have been in any way uh, hurt by, by abuse of authority, I, I know this is perhaps very triggering for you right now. I know. But I'm, I want to proclaim to you that there's a righteous submission that is right and feels good. I'm going to come back to that, okay? Hold, hold me to that. But you'll notice in this passage what he says to wives. This is about this big. It's a little bit. He has a whole lot he needs to say to guys now. And I I think the reason for this is that we're a bit more stubborn when it comes to these things. You you know, the, the reality is that women, you know, at least statistically, tend to be much more open to the things of God. The, the, the pride, the, the male ego is a real thing. And it's pride that keeps us away from God. And that pride tends to stand out in men just a little bit more. So he, he, he has to take a little bit more time with the guys. So, so, so let, let's, let's see what he says to the guys. Husbands, he says, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for, up for her to make her holy cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. He's not done, okay? Love your wives just as Christ loved the church. How how did Christ love the church again? We, We talked about this even in our preamble. He went to a cross. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He went to a cross and gave himself for for her to make her whole. So so he's saying, I I am yours. You, You tell me what you need right now. 
to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. He's saying, I- I'm going to do everything I can to cover you and make sure that you are well protected. I'm giving you my very life. And so for husbands, loving requires sacrifice. It requires that I'm ready to die for you, my wife. I am ready to give you my everything. Because that's what God did. And he says that we're supposed to love as Christ loved the church. So he doesn't stop there. He continues on. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. In other words, anything that I want to do to take care of myself, I'm going to love you at least that well. Now, now remember, Christ loved us so well that he, he actually gave up his entire body. He died for us. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own body. He who loves his wife loves himself. And I can, I can testify, folks. I, I have done my best to love my wife. I know that, that I fall short because I've not arrived yet. None of us have arrived, right? So, so in my efforts to, to love my wife, I'm not there yet. In her efforts to submit to, to my leadership, she's not there yet. But, but we, we, we work at this. We work hard at this. And I can tell you that little adage, happy wife, happy life, it's true. And, and so, so he says, he who loves his wife loves himself. When I, when, when I do well at loving my wife, she responds very well. And, and, and yes, I know uh, we don't all have this, but I am blessed in my marriage. I, I, I've been married 30-something years. She's not here, so I don't have to give you the exact date. When she watches, I'll be in trouble. No, no, I'm just playing. But I love her more today than I ever have. And that's how marriages ought to be because if I'm growing in Christ and I'm learning to love God more, and the more I love God more, the more I ought to love others more. And if, where else can we practice this thing called love but in our homes? It's one thing for me to be nice to you on Sunday morning when I see you or maybe in the middle of the week when I see you at a life group or something. I want to do that. But we tend to put our best foot forward, right? How about day by day when you're with that person? Can, can you practice this thing called agape? Because the love he speaks about here is not just romance. And I love romance. I'm still very romantic. I try to, to, to woo my wife and date her on a regular basis. But that's not ultimately what we're talking about when we're saying love. This word that's translated love here in this passage is that Greek word that I know many of us have heard, agape. It's, 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 it's a uniquely Christian word. It's not used outside of the New Testament a whole lot. We hear love and we, th- we think um, feelings of emotions and passions and all. The, or my Buckeyes, I love my Buckeyes. Or my Columbus crew or, or ice cream or, or my jerk chicken. Oh my goodness, I love that, you know. And, and the love he's speaking about is this desire for others that wants the very best for you. I want the best for you. So, so when we talked about la- you know, a couple weeks back, speaking the truth in love, I'm not just going to tell you what you want to hear because it, it sounds good, it makes you feel good. I, I want to speak the truth, but I want to do it in love so that you're hearing what is good and right and proper and, and, and causes human flourishing, that God has, has the best in store for you. So when I proclaim this gospel to you, I tell you this because I know it's true. 
And I know God's ways don't look like our ways, and God's ways are good. God's ways are the best. And so he tells us now, God, you're good. Hallelujah. Husbands ought to love their wives as their own body. He who loves his wife loves himself. He's not done yet. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ as the church, for we are members of his body. Now, you know, somebody might say, well, do we really love ourselves? Because some of us don't really take care of good care of our bodies, right? We're eating the wrong foods. We're not doing exercise. Blah, 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 blah. But we all have a distorted view of what's good and right. So even when I'm eating that junk food, that's really not that good for me. I'm doing it because it tastes good. So I'm trying to please myself, right? I, I'm, trying, I'm trying to do things that, that make me feel good. And somebody says, well, I don't really like myself very much. And I, well, no, it's because you love yourself too much. That's why you don't like where you're at. Because if, you, if, 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 if you're saying to yourself, well, you know, things are just horrible in my life, and so I don't like myself. Well, if you didn't like yourself, you'd be glad that things weren't right. No, it's because we love ourselves. We want things to be right. And in the same way that we love ourselves, this scripture is telling me i got to love my wife. And i got to be ready to sacrifice for her and give myself. Jesus said this of himself. This is Mark 10, 45. Even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And this is how we're told, husbands, we are to love our wives, to be their servants. And, and so here's, here's God's marriage check and balance. Wives, submit to your servants. <laughs> Only God could come up with something like that. He's saying, husbands, you're called to serve your wives, to be their servants. That's part of how you love them. And wives, submit to your servants. That, that, just, that just goes against the grain. I mean, in that culture, we, again, we're going to talk about um, slaves and masters and, and what that meant back then. But it's like Paul is tearing up the, 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 the norms. This, this just, just doesn't fit the way people think. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. That's Genesis 2.24. He's quoting from the Old Testament. Jesus himself quotes this same passage. And, and notice the, the, the flow here. And again, what we're talking about is God's ways versus our ways. They just don't look the same. A man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. We live in a culture, again, that has redefined marriage as being anything we want it to be. Uh, same sex is, is law of the land. But you know it's not going to stop there. You know, there's a lot of talk these days, about, and, and there, there are jurisdictions where people are, are trying to pass laws where you can have multiple people in a household. And, and, and honestly, if you take God out of the equation, there, there is no reason there shouldn't be anything you want to define it as. You, you leave us to ourselves, we will figure out something for ourselves. But God says there is an order, that it's a, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. And the two will become one flesh. What is he talking about there? He's speaking of the sexual union. 
That's what it means. The two shall become one flesh. It's a beautiful gift that God has given to us. It's intended for, for passion, for pleasure, for procreation. God gave this to us as a wedding gift. Sex is God's wedding gift. And so again, notice the order. Leave father and mother, be united to the wife. In other words, you're now married, and now become one flesh. We ignore that. We, we, we choose the, the, the order any way we wish. Uh, it's very rare today to see even believers saying, I'm going to wait until I get married before I receive this gift that God has given called sex. It's a beautiful gift, but it's intended for a single context, and it's a marriage relationship between a husband and a wife. Now, now I didn't grow up in the church, okay? So, so uh, both Maria and myself, we, we, we didn't know God's principles on this at all. So we didn't live it. But I can tell you, April 24th, 1988, when I said yes to Jesus, until the day we got married, we honored God in this. We honored God in this. And I know what it means to burn. <laughs> I know what it means to say, especially seeing as we had been together for many, many years before that, and then to say, you know, I, I want to please you, God. Remember we talked about this last week? Find out what pleases God. His ways don't look like our ways. It's a blessed gift. But child of God, if you belong to Jesus, you honor God in this. He says, this is a profound mystery. But I'm talking about Christ and his church. In, in other words, what he's saying to us is that this thing that he ordered from creation, marriage, a husband and a wife coming together, and then being united as one, becoming one flesh. He says that this is a microcosm, if you will, of this beautiful thing called Christ and his church. It's a picture. And so when we distort the picture, we're distorting what God has said is Christ and his church. That we honor this. And so marriage should be honored by all. I'm not Roman Catholic, okay, but the, the Catholics view marriage as a sacrament. And I understand why. It is intended to be a beautiful gift to God. And so my marriage, your marriage, you, we who are married, we work at it and we work and say, husbands, love your wives. Wives, honor and respect your husbands because it's bigger than us. And I can, t I can, I can remember early on in our marriage where, you know, we, you know, last week, a couple weeks ago when we were talking about Ephesians uh, 4, 26, where it says, do, you know, in your anger do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. Do not give the devil a foothold. We, we dishonored that just a handful of times and we realized we can't do that. Because it gives the devil a foothold. We'll talk about spiritual warfare in just a couple of weeks. But, but we can't do that because it's, it's not just that it doesn't feel good and, and it causes all kinds of pain in our own lives. Our marriage is bigger than us. Our marriage is called to reflect Christ and His church. And we need to view our marriages from that perspective. I'm speaking to us who know the Lord. And for any of you who are investigating Jesus right now, want to know more about who he is, I'm just telling you, God's ways are good. They really are. And so everything I'm talking about here, now, now I know because we still have a, a sin nature, we, we don't quite live up to this the way we ought to. We fall short. 
But let me say a couple things before, before we go on. One, notice this. It doesn't say, husbands, make your wives submit to you. It doesn't say, wives, make your husbands love you. And I think oftentimes when there's breakdown in marriage, it's that I want my wife to respect me, and I'm focusing on how much she doesn't respect me. Or wives, you're going, I want my husband to love me, and he just doesn't want to love me. And the command to wives is, wives, you do what I've told you to do. Husbands, you do what I've told you to do. Your responsibility, husbands, wives, is before the Lord, ultimately. That's our responsibility, before the Lord. Now, when a husband and a wife are both fulfilling what God has told them to do, this thing works out pretty good. It really does. You know, you know if I'm loving my wife and she is respecting me, it makes it easier and easier for me to love her. If she's respecting me and I'm loving her back and I'm loving her back, I'm showing her sacrificial love where I'm ready to, to be her servant, it makes it easier for her to respect me. But with, if either one of us decide I'm not going to do my part, yeah, I might be a real godly man or she might be a real godly woman. It just makes it that much harder. And, I, and I, we, we have spent a lot of time with couples and counseling and, and almost invariably, it's just that breakdown. You don't generally find people coming to counseling where both are saying, I just, where the husband is going, I just want to serve and love my wife. Whether she responds or not, I'm going to do this. And the wife going, I'm going to respect and I'm going to submit to his covering, his protection or authority. Whether or not he, those couples don't come to see me. It's, it's where there's breakdown. And when we do it right, it is a blessed thing. There is joy. This, this, this idea of, of submitting to one another, these, these are spheres in which we, when we do this, ultimately I'm saying I'm submitting to you, God. What did you say to do? Husbands, love your wives sacrificially. Give yourselves totally to, to your wife. Wives, respect your husbands. It, it just becomes that much easier. It just becomes that much easier. Uh, listen to, to Hebrews 13.4. Marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure for God will judge the adulterer and the sexually immoral. We, we talked earlier in, in, the, uh, in, the, in the early part of chapter 5 where in, in verse 3 it says, but among you there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed, for these are improper for God's holy people. And here in, in, in Hebrews, the, the, the writer is saying marriage should be honored by uh, some people. No, it says marriage should be honored by all. So whether you are married or not, we should Honor this thing called marriage. We have, I'm sure many of us have friends who are, are, are gay and um, good people, good friends that we love dearly. But for them also, I'd say, you've got to honor what marriage is, what God says marriage is. It doesn't mean that we don't love people completely but we speak the truth in love. We know people who are, are again, our neighbors, our friends, our, our relatives, and they're living together. They're not married. And we say, you know, that's not honoring of marriage. Uh, 
And we say these things because this is what God says. It should be honored by all. However, each one of you must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Now, I I know today that what we've been talking about is going to rub some of us the wrong way because this is not what the world has taught us. This is not how we're living. But I'm telling you, it's God's way, and it's good And if we take God's word and we apply God's word, not just be hearers, but doers of his word, he showers us with blessing. You know, I know today I may be speaking to somebody who is in a very hard place. Maybe your marriage isn't what you'd like it to be right now. You know, wives, you're saying, if only he would get it together. Husbands, you're saying, if only she would get it together. And God is not asking you to fix the other person. We can't fix anybody else. I, I, you know, I'm, I'm aware of that even as a preacher when I stand up here and preach. I, I can't make any of you guys do one thing. I want to speak truth, and I, I hope you hear it in a way that you know I love you. And I want you to know that God loves you, and God's ways are good and right. They're good and right. Right? 